there's this idea when you're in academia and you're like in your PhD program that it's like, well, people kind of sell out and they do other things or something. And I actually think people leave and they're very, very happy. This is Translate Your Training, where we explore non-academic careers in the life sciences and talk to professionals about what aspects of their PhD training were most important for their careers and how they translated their training. We're your hosts. I'm Margaret. And I'm Gabby. Hey, Margaret. Last week's interview was so cool. I've signed up for a couple of those biotech newsletters Jessica mentioned, and it's really eye-opening to see all the really cool science happening so close to us in San Diego. It also still just blows my mind how Jessica was able to be so successful in a field that she didn't get much training in during her PhD. Yes, I'm also amazed with Jessica's story. Honestly, every story we've heard so far this season has been super encouraging. I'm excited to share who I interviewed for this episode. Ooh, yes, please share. This week, I was lucky to catch Ashley Javanet for our interview right in the middle of this quarter's midterm season. I mention this because Ashley is a teaching professor. Wow, that sounds hectic. Midterm seasons were always so stressful during undergrad. It's probably just as stressful for professors, right? I mean, wait, here's a dumb question. Teaching professors are still called professors, right? Yes, teaching professors are professors. And teaching professors and research professors have some overlapping job duties, but the majority of their time is spent doing different tasks. So teaching professors dedicate most of their time developing course curricula and teaching classes, as opposed to research professors who, well, I'm sure most people listening are aware, publish papers on original research and do grant writing. Ooh, okay. So we're not technically outside of academia for this episode, right? Right. But the traditional route for PhDs is the research professor tenure track. The teaching professor role is not as common, and Ashley did a really good job of explaining the differences to me during our interview. Yeah, so the teaching professor track at R1-type universities is, is pretty unique. So the UC system has them. There's a few other places that have them. And the idea is that it's a parallel track to research faculty and it's tenure track and um, it's actually the same sort of tenure cycle. So we go up for tenure after six years, but the sort of main components of the job are really different. So instead of doing research, I'm primarily doing teaching. And for me, that means I teach pretty much full time during the year. So I teach uh, about five courses a year, sometimes less if I have course relief. And I also do service. And so for me, that means uh, directing the BSMS program that we have in biology. And I also am now directing a program that's starting this summer, which is a summer research program for transfer students. Yeah. And then the sort of third thing, so there's teaching service and then there's scholarship. And so, you know, for biology research faculty, that's their research. For me, it's kind of a mix of things. Um, And this is really different from teaching professor to teaching professor. So for me, it's usually things like developing curricula, trying to understand how students are responding to different curricula that we're trying out, 
Um, for other teaching professors, it's um, a bit more like true education research where they're really trying to figure out like how do students think about things and, you know, what are the ways we should structure learning so that it, it works best for, you know, different sets of students and things like that. And and for me, it's also a little bit of writing. So I do a lot of science writing on the side and all of that sort of counts for my scholarship component of my job. And for me, that's really nice because I kind of like being balanced across these three different areas. I didn't think I would also learn about what research professors do in this episode. I like how it's broken down into three areas. Yes. So I guess all professors need to do the three things Ashley mentioned, which are teach, service, and scholarship. But the percentages of each is different between teaching and research professors. And the last part, scholarship, is very different, even among teaching professors. So why would someone choose to be a teaching professor rather than a research professor? I mean, you don't hear much about the teaching professors in universities. And I feel like as a research professor, you can also teach and develop curricula if you want to, right? Yes, that's true. And Ashley laid out the pros and cons of being a teaching professor at an R1 university for me. So on the pro side of things, I don't have to apply for grants to fund myself. I'm fully funded. I can apply to grants. And so, for instance, I have a small seed grant to hire um, an intern to work on some um, course materials with me. I also applied for a grant, which is what's supporting the summer research program to help um, transfer students get into neuroscience research. And so that grant is actually going to fund me over the summer because we're paid nine out of 12 months salary. So I guess you could see that as a negative in that, you know, we're only paid nine out of 12 months. So if you need a 12 month salary, then, you know, the, the teaching professor job might not work. But usually we have an option to teach something over the summer. So you can actually generally make up those three extra months in one way or another. We also have an option to get one month of summer salary for research stuff. So we apply for that. It's kind of like a small internal grant. Anyway, so I think the funding is a huge pro. I think the pro for me too is having the balance of different things to do. So, you know, my year is kind of a mix of teaching and writing. And then every week is also a mix of, you know, some weeks more teaching than others. Like, so during the 10 weeks of the quarter, I'm pretty much full-time teaching. So there's that like kind of balance between different things. And and I'm still trying to figure that out for myself too. And like how much time I want to take out of my weeks for these other things. And, but for me, that kind of diversity of tasks is really nice. I think, let's see, I, I think one downside is that you're kind of in this like weird position, like within the university, like because it's kind of an uncommon role um, in some divisions, it's very common in biology, but even still like, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a sentiment of being something like a second class citizen. I think that's kind of strong language, but you know, research faculty get most of the attention, you know, they're, they're pulling in most of the funding and such. And so I think there can be this element of like, there's the research faculty, and then there's like these other faculty that do most of the teaching. And, and so I think there can be that. And that's um, a bit of a downside. So like right now, we're actually trying to get equal voting rights for teaching professors, because there's this asymmetry, like research faculty can vote on teaching faculty files, but teaching faculty can't vote on research faculty files. And so that's like, there's like kind of small inequities like that, that, you know, are there. And so that that's just like a, a thing to contend with. I think another thing, this is not necessarily particular to my role, but 
because we tend to do, I think, a little bit more service than most research faculty. You know, there's a little bit more like dealing with university politics sometimes. And that's not my favorite side of things. I mostly encounter this through the BSMS program. And, you know, I not like a nitty gritty policy person (laughs) myself. And so when it comes to things like, oh, we want to make this change and this change would be better for students you know, let's make this change. Um, And then you have to go through like rounds of red tape in order to make that change. And that's kind of just annoying and not something I really want to spend my time on. But it's sort of a necessary part of making change at a big university. Yeah. And then I mean, a big pro is also just getting to work with students on my, you know, from my perspective. I think it's really fun. Like I, I don't have kids and like, I feel like my students are my kids (laughs) and I like care a lot about them. And like, you know, this is my third year. And like, so I have some students that I've known now for several years and like are circling back as they, you know, apply to PhD programs and go off and do awesome things. And that's really, really nice. And I wasn't sure if I would get that because like, you know, I sort of don't have a lab. So I advise a couple students on small projects, but I don't have like that lab environment. But it is really nice to kind of individually work with students and hear about their paths and and try to like, you know, mentor students in that way. So that for me is, is definitely a, a plus too. Interesting. So if you don't really care too much about research, but you love teaching, then this sounds like a dream job. You don't have to write grants and you get to work closely with students. Sounds like a sweet gig to me. Yes, it also sounds like a great job to me too. And having summers off sounds so cool. So cool. But I mean, coming from research labs where you do experiments and write through the summer, you're pretty much nonstop working. It's actually the most productive time for researchers. So what would a teaching professor do during the summer, I guess, if you're not traveling? Well, I can't speak for all teaching professors, but Ashley used her summer to write a book. What? No way. Yes, Ashley is another first for our podcast. She is our first author. She wrote a book called So You Want to Be a Neuroscientist. So in the second year of my postdoc, all of these things were happening. I was um, interviewing for UCSD. And then also I had gotten this email from an editor at Columbia University Press who said, "Um, hey, you know, I've read some of your writing online. I've been doing a lot of science writing and I follow you on Twitter. And um, it seems like you have interesting things to say. Like, have you ever thought about writing a book? And, you know, this is one of those emails that you get where you're like, oh, my God, yes, (laughs) 100% yes. And so I got this email. And, you know, they had kind of an idea in mind. Um, There's this other book that was written by, you know, the guy who's kind of considered like the father of neuroscience, Santiago Romani Cajal. Um, But that book is like 100 years old. and It's called Advice to Young Investigators. And, you know, it's pretty good for the time and has really timeless advice in it. But it also talks about things like how to find a wife <laughs> and the qualities that your wife should have. And, you know, things that were generally frowned upon in terms of like, you know, what advice we give to new scientists. So um, I sort of took this and was like, OK, you know, let's think about what we need in a book for, you know, 2020, 2021. Yeah, I wrote a proposal and um, that was it goes through a few stages at, at Columbia Press and then um, and then started writing. So, yeah, the bulk of the writing I actually did uh, the summer after my first year as a faculty member. So I had kind of started it as a postdoc, um, just a little bit, mostly kind of the research and outlining, and then was writing some of it in the transition in between my postdoc and 
faculty job now. And then uh, probably about two thirds of it I wrote um, in the summer after my first year, because um, as a teaching professor, we have our summers free, which is another benefit of the job. So you can kind of do what you want with your summers. For some people, that means, you know, doing research or teaching. Um, For me in that summer, at least it was writing. And so um, that was a big chunk of the time that I wrote the book. That's amazing. I should grab a copy of her book. That other book Ashley mentioned by Ramon y Cajal was written in like the late 1800s. So it was about time we had something more relevant and with the times. I don't think young scientists in 2021 need advice on how to find a wife. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, there are apps for that now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So what kind of things can you do to find out if you're a good fit for a job as a teaching professor? I'm guessing a lot of teaching, right? Yes, Ashley got a ton of teaching experience as a graduate student. So for this job, for the teaching professor track, the expectation is that you come in and, you know, you you know how to teach. You have some sort of baseline um, knowledge about it. And you have taught at least as an instructor of record. That's kind of like the main box you have to check. So that means you haven't been a TA, like you've actually been, you know, the, the lead instructor for a class. So for me... Uh, I was in the neuroscience graduate program at UCSD and we had pretty light teaching requirements as well. So we, you know, had to TA one class, but it could have been a graduate class. It didn't even have to be an undergraduate class. So I kind of went out of my way knowing that I did want to get into teaching to get more teaching opportunities in grad school. So as a grad student, I did a couple of different things. In my first year of grad school, I applied for what was then called the Socrates Fellowship. Um, It was this NSF GK 12 grant funded program. Um, Unfortunately, that uh, funding mechanism doesn't exist anymore. But the idea was they placed um, PhD students in high schools and paired them with high school students or high school teachers rather to work on curricula and teach the students. And so I did that for my whole second year. And that was really cool because it meant like once a week I was going into high school and either teaching or watching and just interacting with the students and helping out with labs and stuff like that. Of course, that's high school teaching. So that's still pretty different. So um, by the time year five uh, rolled around for my PhD, I was still kind of itching to get some like real college teaching experience. And I got lucky that the psych department was actually hiring summer instructors. They needed people to fill in the gaps in some of their classes. And so I taught a class that I um, really had to like work to kind of like prepare and to, to be able to teach. It was a called Principles of Behavior. So it was all about sort of behavioral psychology. And I, I was in neuroscience, so, you know, close, but not really training that I had. So I did a lot of work. I mean, I sort of just dove in and was like, okay, I, I really want to teach and I want to see what that's like. So I'm going to kind of teach myself this material and then try to teach this class. So I did that as a graduate student. That was really my one sort of instructor of record experience as a graduate student. But I had also done some curriculum development sort of on the side as well. So I, for our outreach program, actually, the neuroscience program has a really great outreach program. They bring like brains into schools and do dissections and have students record from cockroach legs and various things. And I developed a few lesson plans for that so that um, instructors didn't need people to actually come in and run the lesson. The idea was that maybe they could actually start to run these lessons on their own. So have have it be a little bit more sustainable. So I worked with a few other students to develop some lesson plans for that. So that was a really good chance to kind of test out curriculum development and sort of put the skills that I learned in the Socrates program a little bit to the test. And then the second thing was actually through the Socrates program, I met 
a handful of high school teachers in San Diego. And one of them actually was going on paternity leave at one point. And he was like, look, my students are really interested in neuroscience. What do you think about sort of filling in for me for six weeks while I'm on paternity leave and doing like a neuroscience module? And I was like, that sounds great. So I, um, for six weeks, uh, while I was, it was kind of a crazy six weeks, because I was like, working in lab, um, or I was like teaching until 3pm. And then I would go to lab for like, you know, as long as I could stay awake, and then like, the next day, go back and teach. And it was a little wild. Um, but I mean, in the end, kind of worth it, because it was like this experience where I got to like, really actually guide my own sort of module that I had developed. Um, so that was really kind of fun. Wow, that is a lot of teaching. That's way more than what my PhD program requires. Same for me. What's great, though, is that that all that teaching worked for her twofold. It got her the experience she needed for her teaching professor job, and it helped her decide whether she enjoyed it or not. Very true. And it's so important to try it out to see if you like a career before you commit. So we know that her teaching experience was crucial for her career. But what about her research during her PhD? Was anything she learned there useful at all? Definitely. That is the theme of our podcast. So I asked Ashley if anything other than teaching during her graduate school experience helped her, and I loved her answer. In the lab, I think there's a a few things. So, you know, one thing is just being able to plan projects. And that's a skill that you do as a PhD student, you know, and, and and to what degree depends on your advisor and sort of the culture in your lab. But probably, you know, what you do is you sit down week to week and you think like Monday, I have to do this Tuesday, I have to do that. And there's like a, a progression of things that need to happen to get to an endpoint. And and some sometimes science projects go over months, right? We have to do this thing month one, that thing month two. And like that kind of project planning is useful regardless really of what you do after. I mean, it's it's useful in life. <laughs> um, it's useful for many different kinds of careers. And so I think that's like thing number one that I is, think is really important. Number two, there's kind of like information literacy and critical thinking. And that's something you almost learned like to a fault in graduate school, which is like to be super critical of information and um, to to distill things like into different parts and figure out which parts work and which don't. And I think that that's useful in a variety of careers. And again, just useful in general as a person who, you know, especially now, like during the pandemic, you're trying to make sense of all of this information we're getting about, you know, COVID-19 and and then like trying to communicate that to other people. And just that ability to like think critically about information and data, I think is really, really useful and increasingly useful in a very data-driven world. Um, I think thing number three is writing. At some point, you'll at least write a thesis, but you'll probably write some other things along the way, maybe papers or, you know, grant applications or things. And that's super useful. Just having any experience writing can be um, really helpful in a handful of careers. And then the fourth thing I think is working with other people and mentoring other people if you get a chance to do that in grad school. And so, you know, maybe it's that you work with a high school student or an undergrad in the lab, or even, you know, you're mentoring younger grad students in the lab. I mean, that's super valuable experience and ultimately going to be really useful in any number of careers where you have to work with other people, where you have to train other people. I think that those are all super transferable skills for like almost anybody on almost any career path. So project management, critical thinking, writing, collaborating, and mentoring. We've definitely heard those before, haven't we? 
Yes, it definitely seems like those are important skills that every PhD student develops. I wonder if you can put expert collaborator on your resume or maybe professional critical thinker, right? (laughs) I guess my question is, how can you highlight these skills in an interview for a teaching professor position? Or if you are interviewing with academics, do they just sort of get it since they were also grad students at one point? Even though they are academics, Ashley pointed out that it is important to own what you have done and give yourself credit for it because that will really help you land the job. One thing I really had to start doing and sort of training myself to do is to kind of like take ownership of things I had developed, you know, which feels a little weird, like, because I'm like, okay, I, you know, I wrote this like lesson plan that someone can use. But starting to talk about that, like, look, I, um, I developed a lesson plan, you know, from start to finish, and I distributed it to, you know, different people, and I trained them on using the equipment or whatever it is. And it's like, there's, there's sort of an element of just taking ownership for, for what you've done that I think is kind of important for really any job. But for me specifically, that was one thing I had to start doing was like being like, yes, I developed this. <laughs> this is my thing. Um, and I'm, I'm like really not the person to like take ownership, but like you kind of have to do that when you're applying to jobs. That's great advice. It reminds me of what Ali told us in episode one, that we need to speak with conviction and highlight our accomplishments. Yes, I think Adam from episode three also mentioned about being confident. So it seems like this advice would be useful in many different career interviews. Yeah, I'm curious about the process of interviewing for a teaching professorship. Is it like a research professorship where you give a chalk talk? Ashley mentioned that it's actually really similar to a research professorship interview. You do have to give a chalk talk, but you also have to do a teaching demonstration. And for most teaching positions, too, there's kind of an element of like show more than tell, right? So like for my job, I had to do a teaching demonstration and like show that I could teach. (laughs) Um, Even though I was teaching a room of, you know, tenured professors in neurobiology, um, I was teaching them about synaptic transmission, you know, which they all had done the foundational research on, (laughs) you know, but I still had to like stand up there and demonstrate a lesson plan like that I would give to undergrads. And I think that's true of a lot of teaching positions, you know, you'll actually give a guest lecture or something like that. So I think that if you're applying to teaching jobs, I would definitely be ready for that. And I, I spend a lot of time like that is the best lecture probably I will ever give <laughs> in my life. <laughs> so like, you know, that's the thing to spend time on definitely when you're preparing. And so yeah, we had worksheets, I uh, put up a, a electro electron microscopy image of a synapse and asked everybody, you know, what they what they thought was interesting. I forgot what the question was like, I think it said like, what are you wondering about this image? And yeah, so that was that was really funny. It was it also ended up being a, a room full of grad students because um, you know I still knew some people in the program, so they they came to the talk, uh, which was actually very helpful for my like for my ego and my confidence in that moment to like have people I knew there. But yeah, I mean I, I asked for audience input and feedback, and yeah, I had to very much treat it like it was a real lecture. I also had to do a chalk talk. So, yeah, the, the format actually of my interview was really similar to what it might be for a research faculty and that there's a talk and then a chalk talk and then like meeting with a bunch of people. So, yeah, so I gave a chalk talk. But for me, it was largely about they wanted to hire someone to design a neurobiology lab class. And so they're the one prompt was like, OK, what does this class look like? Uh, that was prompt number one. And then 
Um, prompt number two was, you know, what is your scholarship going to be? So what kind of work are you going to do while you're here at UCSD? And then the third prompt was about um, diversity and inclusion efforts. So, you know, what kinds of things would you be involved in here or like have you done um, for EDI? I love that image of teaching a room full of professors like undergrads with worksheets. I wonder if they would act like the typical undergrad class, you know, like that one person that always asks all the questions to make themselves look smart, the shy one, the quiet, smart one, the one who's completely lost. I can't imagine those professors would act any way other than themselves. So I guess it would be like a class full of really eager students asking a ton of questions. By the way, I love that they're hiring teachers with dynamic, active lesson plans. I always loved those types of classes when I was an undergrad. Yeah, me too. And since UCSD has such large undergrad class sizes, I feel like those types of classes are harder to develop and teach. It definitely gives me hope for the future of education. Yes, that's a huge undertaking. Ashley left us with some final advice for graduate students and students who want to get into teaching. The general advice is just to tune into the things that you're interested in or the things that you like feel drawn to do on a daily basis. Like for me, when I was in my postdoc, I really started realizing that, you know, when given the choice to like do another surgery or, you know, sit down and write something or edit something like I was I was very much drawn to the writing and editing. And so I think like taking a little bit of time to recognize like, okay, I don't really like this or that's really awesome. And I like, you know, I leave my outreach activities and I'm fired up and and that's great. I think like tuning into that is super important for people who are specifically interested in teaching. I think, you know, the main thing is to get teaching experience and to, you know, really test it out in different kinds of classrooms. You know, if you want college level teaching jobs to get college level teaching experience, it doesn't have to be at UCSD. A a lot of places like, you know, we have many community colleges here in San Diego, for example, a lot of those are hiring um, instructors to fill needs that they have. So like looking for positions like that, where you, you know, with your advisor's permission could teach for a quarter. I think that that can be super, super useful and actually necessary experience to get a teaching job like mine. I mean, I think one thing too is just like people are happy doing other things. Like I feel like there's this idea when you're in academia and you're like in your PhD program that it's like, well, people kind of sell out and they do other things or something. And I actually think people leave and they're very, very happy. (laughs) And like you can be happy doing other things. And, um, you know, it's not just that you like work for the man now or something. Yeah. So I think that's like good to remember. And I mean, I had this real moment of being like, oh, I guess I could teach or write and I don't have to do research. Like it, it like I moved away from it being like a, you know, this is the, the only thing <laughs> that like, you know, cause everybody around you, you know, everybody around you when you're in PhD or in your postdoc is like just doing research. And it's like, wait, maybe there's actually other ways to do this. And um, maybe I could actually be happier, even happier doing it. And I think like opening yourself up to that possibility is a big first step. Wow. That's such great advice. You can be happy outside of academia. I love that. Definitely. It was a pleasure to speak to Ashley, especially in the middle of a busy semester. So here's a quick recap of what I think are the take-homes from my interview. In Ashley's job as a teaching professor, she teaches, writes, and has to fulfill service requirements and develops curricula. And if you want to get into teaching, guess what? You have to teach. So take all the opportunities you can and teach a lot. 
Yes, and you'll pretty much get all the perks of being in academia without having to write grants, and you get summers off. Sounds like a sweet deal to me. So I want to thank Ashley again for speaking with me. Your advice was amazing, and I can't wait to read your book. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'd love it if you shared our show with a PhD student in your life. So tune in next week for our exploration of another interesting scientist and career. Find us at Translate Your Training wherever you find podcasts. Read our show notes and find our episodes on our website at translateyourtraining.org. Follow us on Instagram at Translate Your Training and on Twitter at TYourT Podcast or send us an email at translateyourtraining at gmail.com. This episode was produced by us, Margaret Burns and Gabriella Goldberg. Our logo is by Eileen Ibar. And our intro music is by Luke Urza.